Get ready to hear the truth about America on a show that's not immune to the facts with your host, Dan Bongino. All right, welcome to the Dan Bongino Show. Producer Joe, how are you today? Man, I'm doing good. It's, it's a new year. Haven't had a chance to screw anything up yet. <laughs> yeah, not yet. There's still time. 363 yeah, days left, so we're good time. to go. Yeah, we'll mess something up. Don't worry about it, folks. We got you there. We got you covered. Hey, I got a pretty stacked show today. I'm pretty excited about today's show. Put a lot of work into today's show because there were a lot of good stories. Mm. And I read a tremendous, tremendous, fantastic, excellent piece. I can't uh, use enough uh, adjectives to describe how wonderful it is by Victor Davis Hanson in the show notes today that I strongly, strongly encourage you to read. As always, if you go to my website, the show notes are there and the podcast link right there. And uh, if you subscribe to my email list, I'll email them to you. But it is really wonderful describing what he calls the political class mediocrity. No, no, not the meritocracy. Oh. I didn't get that wrong. The mediocrity. The mediocrity. What an awesome piece. I'm going to go through it. So don't go what anywhere. Let's get right to it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's great. You know, Victor Davis Hansen, he's terrific. And he's got that voice. He, he disarms you. Hey, Joseph, it's good to be on the show. Good to see you today, man. And it, it just puts you at ease. And then he just melts you with logic. He's so good. So I got that and a lot more. Don't go anywhere. All right. Today's show. Brought to you by our buddies at Policy Genius. Listen, no one wants to talk about life insurance. It's not a fun topic to talk about, obviously. Most people don't want to think about dying, and they definitely don't want to think about insurance. But having life insurance feels great. That sense of security, uh, it, it's a commitment you got to make. And getting that peace of mind doesn't need to be complicated. Policy Genius is a simple way. It's incredibly easy. I've been there. I've seen it. I know the website. I know how it works. It is super Super simple. Policy Genius is the easy way to get life insurance in minutes. You can compare quotes from top insurers to find the coverage you need. Most importantly, at a price you can afford. From there, you can apply online, and the unbiased advisors at Policy Genius will handle all the red tape, leaving you free to do the things you actually enjoy. And Policy Genius doesn't just make life insurance easy. You could be shopping for disability insurance there to protect your income, homeowners insurance, auto insurance. They can help you get covered fast. If you've been intimidated or frustrated by insurance in the past, give Policy Genius a try. You will not be disappointed. I certainly wasn't. Just go to policygenius.com to get your quotes and apply in minutes. You can do the whole thing on your phone right now. Policy Genius, the easy way to compare and buy life insurance. Policygenius.com. Okie dokie, doggy daddy from True Romance, one of my favorite <laughs> movies. Remember that? Okie dokie, doggy daddy. <laughs> movie. That movie is great. One of my favorites. Christopher Walken. What a scene of that movie. Okay. So before we get to the Victor Davis Hanson piece, just a couple of things. This American Paul Whelan, who's being uh, in prison now uh, in Moscow mm. by the Russians on allegations of spying. I don't know if you've seen the story. He is uh, an, an American. He was a former law enforcement official. He works in security right now for a global firm that uh, does auto auto parts or some automotive parts or something like that. Paul Whelan's his name. He was attending a wedding in Moscow, and the Russians have now taken him prisoner under allegations of spying. Listen, folks, um, I'm not buying this story one bit by the Russians. That is, um, I think this guy is uh, the guy is retribution for what's going on with this. Uh, with the, the Trump-Russia scandal in the United States. And I think the Russians are trying to make an example out of this guy. Now, the only reason I say that and I bring it up is because I had some experiences in Russia myself that were quite unpleasant. When I spent some time in Moscow, I was over there with a friend of mine with the Secret Service on a temporary investigative assignment. We were over there trying to supplement what used to be the Moscow office. They had a, we, The Secret Service had a Moscow office, um, and it was, it was the full-time employees where basically the full-time Secret Service employee was given the boot. He was PNG, oh, uh, made persona non grata. He was kicked out. Uh, this guy, Charlie White, at the time. Uh, There's nothing he did wrong. It was just the Russians wanted to get back at us, um, and they kicked out the boss. But they let back in temporary employees, so they would staff the office on three-week investigative assignments. I went back with a friend of mine, this guy, Sean, and I spent three weeks in Moscow. And I'll tell you, over there, you know, folks, it can break bad in a minute. Don't think the rules apply. We had oh. dip passports, diplomatic passports, Joe, which, yeah. you know, if you watch Lethal Weapon uh, uh, 2 or 3 or whatever it was, I think it was 2, diplomatic immunity. Remember the, the <laughs> South African guy? You're under the mistaken belief that having a diplomatic passport actually confers anything on your status. But believe me, when you're in Russia, it don't mean squat. The Russians do what the hell they want. Yeah, Remember right. Lethal Weapon 2? <laughs> the guy with the Krugerrands? Diplomatic 
community. And Mel Gibson's like, yeah, whatever, dude. And he just like whacks him anyway. <laughs> so when we were over there, we got pulled over. And if you ever go to Russia, they have this, uh, I think they call it the Pajolsta stick. The cops, the street cops have this white stick. It, it's like a, you know, like a club. Yeah. But it's white. Yeah. And it's supposed to be for traffic because you can see it. And when they point that stick, man, you better stop. Because if you don't stop, you may be on the receiving end of that stick. And I don't mean your car. I mean your melon. Yep. So you people stop when they see the Pajolsta stick or whatever it was called. Probably saying it wrong. Probably get a thousand emails. But uh, we didn't stop one time. Me and my friend. And the guy wound up chasing. We didn't see him. It, was, it wasn't like we did anything. We made an illegal U-turn. <laughs> um, we didn't even know it was illegal. We were on this ring road and we just didn't know. I mean, it wasn't our fault. We were going. We were lost. We were going in the wrong direction. So this guy pulled us over. And the minute we saw him, we pulled over. We weren't trying to evade him or anything like that. Right. And we showed him a diplomatic passport and this little note they gave us from the embassy because we were on a temp assignment. And believe me, this guy did not care one bit at all. He sat there at that car looking for a bribe from us for probably a half an hour. And we don't speak Russian. All I remember was, uh, uh, what was it? Uh, Yanni Panimayu or something. I don't, I don't speak Russian. Or Yanni Gavruparuski. I forget. I don't even. But all I remember knowing was I don't speak Russian. Now, Joe knows a little bit about Russia, too. Oh, yeah. But yeah, for different circumstances, not law enforcement uh, on either end, yeah. <laughs> not acting as one or on the receiving end. The one like we, we were on both ends. Yeah. This dude sat there. I'm telling you for 30 minutes yeah. yelling at us in Russian. Yeah. And me and my buddy Sean were pretty big guys. This guy was was a decent sized dude himself although a little bit of a pot belly and i swear at one point about 28 minutes in it's a true story and my buddy sean when he retires i'll have him on the show and we can talk he's still working so i can't tell the story now at one point we looked at each other like what do we do because this guy looked like he was going to lock us up and throw us in a we were not good listen we were not going no matter what the, no no way brother no sister we were not going it was not happening it was like fetch. It was not going to happen. <laughs> and I looked at my buddy and he looked at me. And if you could tell the guy didn't speak English. He wasn't faking it. And there was we were on a bridge over a river. And I swear we were both thinking at the same time. You hit him high. I'll hit him low. We dumped this guy over the side. He wouldn't have died. It was only like a 10-foot drop or something. And then we just get the hell out of here and get back to the embassy stat. And just as we, I'm telling you, we, it was, we laugh about it to this day because we were, at the time, it was different. We were really worried. Hell yes. Yeah. But then he just gave up. He like screamed something in Russian, realized we weren't going to pay him off in rubles. And he just took off. And we looked at each other like, damn. But I'm telling you right now, we were not going to some Russian prison. There were no way in hell. And I could totally see this guy without a dip passport overseas at a wedding you know, the rule of law over there is non-existent if they don't, you know, they'll do whatever they want. Oh, yeah. Now, I know, uh, you know, you've got some experience there, too, but it's I just read that story and I was I was like, oh, man, this guy's in a lot of trouble. I had an experience like this in Tijuana with some buddies. And I yeah. know that very moment when we right. looked at when each it, other, I like you saw what me do we jump do? Up, like, should we, we said, throw this guy in the woods? Yeah, we, right. I, I know that. I know that you I, hit it, him high. Boom. I hit him low. It just right. Yeah, to just throw them in the woods for a minute and get the hell out of there. Right? And we're not stopping. We're not. No, stopping. because you're never coming back. Yeah, and that's the thing, man. We I, we saw that me and my buddy. Wow. And it was such a. It wasn't even that he wrote us the. And you may say, well, Dan, you made an illegal U-turn. Yeah, he wrote us the ticket, sure. folks. Maybe I didn't tell the story. He wrote us the ticket, so we had fine. We were going to pay the ticket. Fine. As a matter of fact, we got in trouble at the embassy later because I don't think we paid the ticket. They were like, <laughs> "Hey, you guys shouldn't come back." We were like, "Fine, we're not coming back anyway. No worries." But. He wrote us the ticket and was still looking for money. That's the point. We were like, we're not giving this guy money. I'm not giving him a dime. Forget it. So interesting, though. But this guy's in a lot of trouble, man. Big deal. Wow. All right, one other story before I get to this. Um, I got some really good stuff for you today. How do you think the media optics would be, by the way, right now, if there was a government shutdown? Let me just throw a hypothetical. If, well, there is a government shutdown, but just play this game for me. Let's go to Bizarro Superman land and okay. get out of the real world yeah, for a minute. Ready for that. Yeah. Let's say we were in a government shutdown. And Donald Trump was in a $10,000 a night villa somewhere in, I don't know, Hawaii or, you know, somewhere in some island in Costa Rica somewhere, some private island. And he was in that $10,000 a night villa walking around, doing his thing, signing autographs while the government was shut down. And Nancy Pelosi was in D.C. in her office, seemingly waiting for a call from Donald Trump to negotiate a budget deal. How do you think that would look? 
That bourgeois son of a... No, you're darn right. <laughs> Media BR, that's exactly what the headline would be. Look at this bougie guy. Yep. This would be all over the media. Out of touch, elitist, look, he doesn't care. Yep. Uh, the problem is that is happening. Just the roles are reversed. Nancy Pelosi's in a $10,000... She's back now, but she was in a $10,000 a night uh, villa, I believe, in Hawaii <laughs> during this government shutdown while pretending to be, you know, oh, listen, we care about the little guy. These government workers are not getting paid right now. Well, maybe you should get back to D.C. and get to work, Nancy. Did you think about that? And the media, the coverage of this, of course, has been light. I saw it on Twitter, and I got a bit of a laugh about that because it's true. If the roles were reversed, it would be completely ridiculous. So let me get to this story uh, before I get to the Davis Hanson piece, because it's an important one. So uh, the, these presidential campaigns are kicking off. And Elizabeth Warren, of course, is the first one. And, uh, you know, each one is going to have their own launch video. And if you ever run for office, for as much as I dislike Elizabeth Warren, she's doing it the right way. My advice to you, where we almost pulled off a huge upset in Maryland in a district that is heavily, heavily Democrat. No one's even come within single digits of winning that congressional seat. But me, we lost by one point. We won on election night, as a matter of fact. I say that because we did a couple things. Now, if you ever run for office, Elizabeth Warren's doing them now. I'm not a fan of Elizabeth Warren, but some advice if you're an office seeker, get out early. Don't let these people tell you, no, you know, you want to get in late. You, you know, you don't want to have to suffer the slings and arrows the entire time. The minute you get in, they're going to hit, they're going to hit you anyway. Yep. Do you want them to hit you closer to the election or do you want them to hit them, hit you two years out when all that stuff is going to be, you know, worn down? It'll be old attacks at that point. You want to get in early. Warren did that. But second, you want to make announcements about announcements about announcements. That, this is the best advice I can give you. When, when, when I met Joe Armacost, what I had done is I had made an announcement about making an announcement. I'm like, oh, I'm Dan Bongino, you know, Secret Service agent. I'm leaving my job. We're going to make an announcement. Mm -hmm. Why do you do that? You make an announcement about announcement to, to leverage free media, what they call earned media. You want the media to cover you, cover you for free or else you got to pay for it. An ad on Joe's uh, radio station, um, soon to be former radio station there, is is expensive. It's not cheap. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's a pretty popular station. But why pay for an ad if you can get the host to talk about you anyway? So Warren, by announcing the famous exploratory committee, did the did the smart thing. Making it, you know, make an option, make an announcement about it. We're exploring. We're exploring. She's running for president, folks. And then when she formally announces, which for all intents and purposes, uh, Monday was, she gets another hit at the free media, at the free media bubble there. So it's, it's a smart strategy. The problem is they're all going to have unique takes. Some of them are going to run as centrist. Some are, are going to run as radical leftist. Warren has clearly chosen the Bernie Sanders approach, radical far leftism. And the demonization of corporations is going to is going to become a central tenet of her uh, of her candidacy. I saw some of her platform. It involves having to register, essentially uh, get a get a federal charter. If you're a corporation over a billion dollars in revenue, having to seat these employee boards on your on your on your board. Um, it, it's really an anti corporate agenda and a lot of you listening may say okay well great you know corporations are you know so powerful evil corporations they do all these really awful things and i've really been getting miffed about this because you know i love economics and it's not about whether you like or dis don't make this personal don't get, uh, divorce emotion from this it's not about whether you like or dislike corporations can i be candid with you i'm not trying to be rude to you folks you're my listeners i love you to death i don't care whether you like or dislike corporations. What I care about is what corporations do for the country. I care about actions. I don't care what you think about them. And candidly, corporations don't either in many respects. They have to respond to shareholders. I mean, yes, they have PR departments that try to put a shine on things, but the bottom line, answering to shareholders typically matters. Now, I couldn't think of an, a better way to sum this up. And I want a hat tip Turning Point USA who had this on their account yesterday. I picked this off their Twitter account. It is an old highlight a video of Milton Friedman, the great legendary, God rest his soul, Milton Friedman used to go on Phil Donahue a lot. And a woman gets up and takes this exact line of attack that Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, that's the reason I'm bringing this up because this battle versus the evil corporations is going to come up, and I'm using that term obviously uh, sarcastically, is going to come up as each candidate announces and runs in this far left space. Bernie Sanders, uh, Terry McAuliffe and others, it's going to be this fight versus the corporations. Not understanding the value these companies bring to the United States and the United States economy. 
Friedman's answer to this woman is absolutely spectacular. Now, the audio is older. Joe did his best to clean it up, but it's definitely, you, you can hear it. But I want you to listen to the question first from the woman about these bad corporations, how they're sucking up the money from all the working people, and Friedman's absolutely brilliant answer. We still have so many impoverished people who try to get up into the world. Why is it we have this lack of money where people who can't support themselves decently and get a decent job where all these big men are up on top making oodles and oodles of money? They don't need it. They can only eat that much, eat in a sleep in a bed. And what do you suppose they do it? If they don't eat it and don't, sli- uh, don't use it, what do you suppose they, they do hoard it? it. They hoard it. They hoard it and invest it. You mean it. they put it under their pillows? That's right. No. They, they keep investing it. Investing it in That's what? That's right. Yeah. What do they invest it in? Well, in oil and everything where, I mean, all these other people. Who are what are they invested in? Don't get off the subject. No. What are they invested in? Well, they invested in a lot of uh, different things that the little people need. Well, do they invest it in factories? Yes. Do some of that money end up in machines? Yes. Do those factories and machines provide ordinary working people with jobs or not? What do you suppose the productivity of this country would be and of the, uh, the wage rate would be if the total amount of capital in this country today was what it was 100 years ago? Where do you suppose the improvements in productivity come from except from the, re- the investment by people of their savings? But let me go to your fundamental question. First place... Nirvana is not for this world. There is no paradise. Of course, we've got a lot of people who are poorly off. But if you look at it over time, if you get a sense of proportion, the well-being of ordinary people has been the main thing that has been improved by economic progress and economic growth and development. And residual, most residual hard cases of poverty today are the result, again, of a failure of government. That goes on a little bit, but that's the essence of what he's, the rest he talks about government minimum wage and other things that have uh, affected the entrance of, uh, of, of young black youth into the audience. I only cut it off because I wanted to make sure that first point hits you and hits you hard. We haven't used Friedman in a long time on the show, and I regret that because there was no more eloquent figure in describing the benefits of capitalism outside of the emotion involved in it. Emotion's easy. Corporations, they're ripping us off. Yeah, they're ripping us off. Oh, my gosh. Get the corporations. Do you work for a corporate? Yes, I work for a corporate. What if you lost your job? I'd be miserable. Do you understand what you're talking about? So he brings up a couple of points. I just wanted to hammer home, given the the Elizabeth Warren fiasco on Monday and this ridiculous, uh, you know, announcement and all the corporations, corporations. Number one, the lady seems to believe that corporations, she says they, quote, hoard their money. They do? What do you think corporations do with the money they make? And by the way, their revenue and their profit are not the same things. A lot of companies generate revenue, but don't generate profit. A lot of Americans don't understand that. They say, what do they do with all that revenue? Well, in some cases, everything. They pay their employees. They pay off their debt. They invest in new capital, and they don't make anything. Not every single business is profitable. You understand that, right? I know the, my audience right. is very bright on economics. I always love your feedback. But there's a big difference between revenue and profit. Just because a company makes billions doesn't mean it earns billions. You need an example? Look at GE. All right? I, I, listen, I, I'm a stockholder in GE. Believe me, I've been taking a, I've been getting hammered. I thought I found the floor with GE at $9 a share. Not so much. Making billions and earning billions is a lot different. They don't hoard it. When they earn profits... Not revenue, but profits. What do they do with those profits? There's no Mr. GE or Mr. IBM. No. They can either turn that back over into future investments, into more lucrative product lines in the future. They can invest in other companies like Facebook and Google does a lot. They buy up other companies. I believe it was, uh, what is it? Facebook bought up Instagram and what is it? Google bought up YouTube. They can buy up other companies. But this is what keeps the American economy moving and grooving. It's this flush supply of capital in the United States supplied by what? Corporations, businesses that earn revenue and and profits. They don't hoard it. They're not hiding it under some pillow. Then you say, well, some of them just keep it in a bank. Okay, well, what does the bank do with it? The bank lends it out. Ladies and gentlemen, banks have an overnight lending rate. You realize that, right? Yeah. An overnight lending rate. Banks don't want to hold money ever. 
Money doesn't make money when it sits in a bank vault. Banks have capital requirements. They have to keep a certain amount of capital as a cushion. But outside of that capital requirement, they don't want one, literally one penny more. It is all lent out to who? Other people in the United States using credit cards, getting student loans, buying cars, buying homes. Well, you want to shut that all down. So this lady and Elizabeth Warren wants to do what? Dry up and burn the supply of United States capital generated by, in some cases, profitable corporations, not in all cases. You want to dry that up? You don't want a student loan? You don't want a car loan? You don't want a mortgage? You don't want a credit card? No, I'm talking to you personally, not you, mostly the liberals. I mean, I don't mean the conservatives and libertarians listen to the show get this stuff. But to the liberals and the college kids listening who still believe in liberalism and evil corporations, you don't want any of that stuff. You don't have a credit card? You don't have a student loan? Where do you think that money came from? The money fairy? That money came from profitable businesses and corporations that put the money back into the financial system to lend it to people like you. People like me. People like Joe. Yeah. Joe and I are not financially independent forever. That I still have a credit card. They don't hoard it. That's an outrageous. And I'm glad Friedman. What do you think they do with it, ma'am? Do you think they put it underneath their pillows? I mean, it requires you. Thomas Sowell's brilliant. Thomas Sowell used to say it requires you to do only first order thinking and never ask the question. And then what? Sowell used to always say another uh, uh, a uh, disciple of Milton Friedman, by the way, Thomas Sowell. Brilliant. Still alive, one of the most brilliant thinkers in our generation, especially on economics, but I'd argue governing philosophy too. My man. So, yeah, he's great. He's yeah. just awesome. We don't use enough of his stuff either. We got to use some of his quotes. Soul would say, you have to ask the question from liberals. Okay, and then what? So a corporation makes money, and then what? And then that's what Friedman does. And lady goes, well, they hoard it. He goes, what do you mean? Like put it under their pillow, and then what? And she goes, no, no, they don't put it under their pillow. They, you know, they, but they buy stuff that the, and, and they invest in stuff that the little people need. And Friedman's like, lady, didn't a light bulb just go off in your head? You did, you just figured it out on your own, whether you know it or not. The money isn't hidden under a pillow. They get used loans. They, they buy equity in other companies that need the money. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a little note here. We use their money. What do you think the government, when the government is spending on your social security and Medicare, there's no money, folks. I got an interesting email from a, a, a person. I won't say their name, then give me permission. So I, I, if you don't specifically say you can use my name, I won't. Person in the email said, Dan, you said in the other day in the, in, the, uh, in the show that all debts are paid either by the debtor or the creditor. It doesn't make sense. I paid into my social security. I'm not going to get any of that. Exactly. All debts are paid. You paid it. You paid for you. There's no doubt you paid for your social security. There you go. There you go. Good one. Yeah. You are not getting any of it. The government passed the people uh, 65 and older will probably be okay. 65 and younger. There's no money. You pay. You're paying, but you're paying for other people's social security. They've already spent it. All debts are paid. They are always paid. All of it. Every time. We use their money. Rich people who put money back in the financial system and profitable corporations, we use their money. It's their money we're using. Where do you think this money's coming from? There is no money fairy. The Social Security Fund is dry, folks. There's nothing there. That's a myth. I'm genuinely sorry, and I've said this repeatedly, that you paid into a system for a long time under the expectation that you would be paid back at a certain rate. Many of you will. I believe if you're 65 and older, you'll be okay. I'm not justifying this. What the government did to people was a sin, is a stain on the country, because many of them designed their lives around an expected return on Social Security that I believe 65 and younger, uh, we may be in a lot of trouble. And you're at some point in your lifetime, those benefits are going to dry up. It's not your fault. The government screwed you over. They said they owe you a debt. That debt is being paid now by people who are currently paying into the Social Security system in a pay go. In other words, the money you invested years ago, like, well, I'm 75. I'm getting my money. You're not getting your money back. Your money was already spent. The government spent it. You're getting mine and Joe's money. 
My money's gone. I have no expectation of receiving Social Security at all. It's gone. I know it's gone because you're using it. If you're 67 and a half and older, it's at whatever age you took your Social Security. You're using my money, which is fine. You are the greatest generation. The government made you promises. I feel genuinely bad for people, but I have no expectation whatsoever that that program is going to have a dime when I get older. None. And I don't make the strong case to you. If you're my age, 44, do not count on that. There is nothing there. All right. Um, I have another good article in the show notes today that I want you to, to take a look at. Tim Wallstall wrote it. It's a, uh, Two things about economics everybody must know. It's a pretty fascinating piece. Uh, it's pretty simple, basically, that incentives matter and opportunities cost. So uh, go check that out. It's a really good read. It talk about nurses from the Philippines being recruited into the United States and how that created a series of incentives, how Philippine nurses wanted to come here because there was more money. And then as hospitals lost nurses in the Philippines, they started paying more money to nurses in the Philippines to come work in Filipino hospitals, which in turn incentivized more women to go into the nursing profession. So he he says, listen, a lot of D.C. politicians don't understand this when they talk about economics. When you create a system, a government policy, it's going to create incentives and disincentives. If you would just acknowledge that, you'd be brighter than 90% of D.C. And remember, Opportunity costs. There are opportunity costs to just about any financial decision. If you understand incentives matter and opportunities cost, you are way, way ahead of the DC class, which understands none of it. I mean, the best way to understand opportunity costs is, you know, I, I use my wife as an example frequently. We hit this mark back in the 200s, dude. Oh, yeah. Remember? Back in the 100s, yeah. I think. We've yeah. been talking about this forever. I love economics. And it's just this Elizabeth Warren and all these far leftists announcing um, is just going to bring all these arguments right back to the forefront. I mean, we had a field day with Bernie Sanders, show. If you're a new <laughs> listener, go back and listen to those episodes. We just lit this guy up left and right, right? <laughs> so opportunities cost. My wife's the perfect example. My wife is a very talented web designer, database developer. I mean, one of the best. I mean, I'll just say that because I'm married to her. She's just really, really smart. My wife could go and, you know, work in, I don't know, a minimum labor job. Excuse me, minimum wage job. She could. And the way to look at that financially is not the way to look at it economically. If my wife worked at a minimum wage job, I'm not knocking it. I'm just trying to make an example out of the, the the finances of it. Please don't take it the wrong way. Say she makes $10,000 a year. Financially, if you were making an argument, you'd say, well, Paula's $10,000 off, at, better off at the end of the year. Economically, she's not. Economically, that's a ridiculous argument because my wife's talents are worth, I, I mean, I'm dollars $150,000, $250,000 a year, depending on how much she wants to work and how often, if not more. So by choosing to work in a minimum wage job, Rather than work in the job she's qualified and talented for at $250,000, my wife is not $10,000 better off. Her salary in a minimum wage job, she's actually $240,000 worse off. In other words, opportunities cost. The cost of a foregone opportunity to be a web developer in, instead while you took a minimum wage job cost you $240,000. So if you understand incentives matter and foregone opportunities cost... You are way ahead of the dopey, silly Washington, D.C. crowd that doesn't understand either of this. That's the problem with Obamacare. Obamacare and the government infiltration through mandates and regulations of what insurance you have to buy and at what price created a significant foregone opportunity which was letting the market control it that would have controlled price because it always does through supply and demand. You don't know but well, you know they call it, you can't prove a counterfactual. You don't know what your health care premiums would have been without Obamacare because that's not the world we live in. I'm relatively confident they would have been a whole lot cheaper. That foregone opportunity cost you a fortune. All right, moving on. I want to get to this Hanson piece. Okay, today's show also brought to you by our buddies at Hair Club. Hey, listen, confidence is important. And sometimes one change can make all the difference. Hair Club knows this, and they're inviting you to become part of the Hair Club family to see how getting the most out of your hair can change your life. 
Listen, they understand the emotions you're feeling and the questions you have. There's an emotional issue. It just is. Everybody, I mean, you have, not everybody has a main like Joe there. This <laughs> big Elvis uh, main. Not the, not the gravy sweating Elvis. Joe's got the old, handsome Elvis. That's, ah. a, that's the main he's got. It's all his, too. Hair Club is the leader in total hair solutions with a legacy of success for over 40 years. Whether you're looking to revitalize the growth of your own hair or to learn more about the latest proven methods for hair replacement or restoration, Hair Club's professionally trained stylist, Hair health experts and consultants will craft a personalized solution to ensure you feel your best and get the most out of your hair. See for yourself just how powerful great hair can be. We get a lot of good feedback on Hair Club, folks. Really, really. The customer service there is amazing. Go to hairclub.com slash Bongino today. Get a load of this. For a free hair analysis and a free take-home hair kit, all valued at over $300. Not $3, not $30. Valued over $300. That's hairclub.com slash Bongino for a free hair analysis and free hair kit. Experience your hair and your life at its best. Only with Hair Club. I'm certain you'll love the club. Hairclub.com slash Bongino. All right. So this Victor Davis Hanson B. Sorry to tease it endlessly, but there was some other important stuff to get to. So he writes this piece, which is just uh, stunningly good. Astonishingly good. I read it and I just lapped up every word like a dog, like a dog, a thirsty dog drinking water out of a dish. He talks about the mediocrity, how the the Trump election was a large-scale rebuttal to decades of being told about the D.C. meritocracy, how D.C. was full of people of merit, Joe, and they're the smartest among us, and this is the benighted class, and these are the the intellectual elites, and surely they know better than you. You know, I always think back, speaking of Thomas Sowell, to tie it into how we got into this, Saul wrote a book, one of my favorite books ever. I, I can't promote this book enough. The Vision of the Anointed. And in Saul's book, he talks about this very thing, the self-anointed class of self-anointed DC geniuses, how they're supposed to be so much smarter than you and that their reason, but their very reasoning for governing is flawed. The reason for governing, and they de- they declare themselves the anointed ones, is they believe you're too stupid because of your human flaws to govern yourself. So the anointed ones throughout history have felt the need to benight themselves, the anointed class, but never realizing the logical fallacy in that, that if human beings are too mistake prone to govern over themselves, why would other human beings govern over other people? That was the whole brilliant idea of our constitution to limit the power of flawed human beings to govern over other flawed human beings, right? Federalist 51, if men were angels. We're not. It's not a meritocracy. And Victor Davis Hanson calls it the mediocrity. And he says, and this is a great line, Joe, that the mediocrity, meaning they're mediocre. These are mediocre, plain Jane, many of them, folks, than the governing class who have anointed themselves these intellectual elites But, Joe, they're living off the reputations of prior generations of greatness. Now, this is something you and I have discussed many times before. Yes, sir. I call it the Valley Forge generation. These were to steal a Braveheart line, still my favorite, the warrior poets, right? The people who could write the Federalist Papers and then get together a standing army in a near record amount of time to fight back the largest, most powerful army in the world leading in, in, in a military upset for the ages in the American Revolution. Beat back the British again in 1812. Survive a civil war. Fight World War I and World War II. You know, get through the Great Depression. I mean, these were where people had to make hard, hard men having to make hard decisions. Yet the mediocracy can't make any decisions. They can't open up the government. They can't figure out what the government does. They can't figure out a way to operate the government without bankrupting every American. They can't figure out how to, for five minutes, stop sniping at each other. They can't figure out how to stop talking down to Americans. They can't figure out that Americans are a little bit tired of being the world's entire global police force. These are a generation, the mediocrity of of government bureaucrats and swamp rats that believe that rather than you know a, a man making a title worth something this is a generation that believes that a title 
makes a man worth something. Think about that. They think the nice plaque in their office, uh, Representative Joseph Armacost, Senator Dan Bongino, yeah, they true. believe the plaque in their office somehow has, 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 has anointed them with special Wonder Twins powers um, that has anointed them with Kal-El type super laser vision in their eyes. The ability to, you know, uh, breathe on something and create an ice storm like X-Men mutants. You know, they, they have titanium spines or an adamantium spines like a Wolverine, right? This is these are gem. Think about that, right? They believe that the the the, the, the title makes the men, not that a men a man makes a title worth something. There's a big difference there, because the titles didn't matter as much in the infancy of our of our of our of our of our, of our country to these great leaders we had. I mean, it, it's it's almost become cliche to go back and talk about George Washington, but think about it, George Washington. There were no term limits. George Washington relinquishes power after two terms. Washington. He didn't have to. There were no term limits, folks. That was not in the Constitution during the Washington, our first president. It was a King George said, if this is true, he's the greatest man that ever lived. He couldn't believe it. He couldn't believe it. These were men who made their title worth something. This generation now is full of worthless swamp rats who believe their title makes them worth something. Now, Hansen goes on in this wonderful, wonderful piece to list out all the things, the mediocrity. I love this line, the media. I can't get enough of this. I'm sorry to keep It's so terrific. It so describes the, the, the diseased swamp. I can't think of a better word. All the things the mediocrity Joe has been wrong about. <laughs> he talks about how we were, remember what we were told a couple of years ago during the Obama presidency, Joe? Yeah. With the tail end of it. By Larry Summers and really smart eco economists. And by, by the way, I'm saying I'm using air, the dreaded air quotes for really smart economists. We were told that sub 3% growth was the new normal. Oh, this yeah. was the new normal. Me and you had talked about this a lot on the show. The new normal, Joe. No, we were never going to reach 3% again. Everything that could be invented had been invented. Yeah. We were in an era of permanent stagnation. Remember Obama? Where is he going to find a job? Where is Trump going to bring back the job? Where, what's he going to do? What are you gonna, how is Trump going to bring back them jobs? We're down to 3%. Remember Obama and that thing? You can't bring back those jobs. Those jobs are gone. What's Trump talking about? Uh, no dice, Mr. President. First year in office, President Trump hits 3% growth. 3%. The first year. It didn't even take a long time. The first year. So, again... The mediocrity was, was these are the smart, folks, keep in mind, these are the, quote, smart people. This is the new normal, you American idiots. It's not me talking, it's them talking. <laughs> it's true. It's the new normal. You guys are all morons. It's true. 3% growth, no good, no dice. The first year he hits it. These are the smartest economists on the planet. You all were too stupid, apparently, to figure it out. The problem is, they were too stupid to figure it out. We were just fine. <laughs> the mediocrity. The swamp. Men who believe their titles give them power. They lend nothing at all to the title. As a matter of fact, they diminish it. Politicians are some of the least respected people in America now. I guarantee you that probably wasn't an issue with George Washington. Just saying. What else was the mediocrity wrong about? Well, I covered a little bit this week, so I don't want to rehash it. But uh, if you listen to the shows earlier, the Paris Climate Accords. Mm. Matt Palumbo has a terrific piece up on my website debunking the, the hysterical liberal nonsense. When Trump pulled out of the Paris Climate Accords about carbon re reductions, oh, it was over. Liberals were calling <laughs> it the, the end of the world, the apocalypse. It was over. Except for the fact that the United States, despite pulling out of the Paris Climate Accords, is still leading the world in carbon emission reductions. Folks, listen to me. Make no mistake. They were wrong. They weren't wrong, asterisk. They weren't wrong, but they were just wrong because they're wrong about everything, liberals. You're a loser. <laughs> I love that. What else were they wrong about? The Iran deal. We were told about the Iran deal over and over. Oh, we have, to, we have to deal with the Iranians. We have to deal with the Iranians. If we don't deal with the Iranians, they're on the road to a nuclear device. They were on the road to a nuclear device anyway. Yeah. 
They didn't give a crap. They were still building ballistic missiles. They were already working on their nuclear program. But all the smart people in the foreign policy establishment, oh, you talking heads who don't have all the experience in academia we have, you're all idiots. Although they chant death to America, they don't really mean it. You all are too stupid to figure it out. Okay. Eh. They were wrong about China. Just went throwing one of my own. They were wrong about net neutrality, but we talked about that earlier in the week. If you listen to the show, the liberals were wrong about that too. And the intelligentsia, the internet's going to get shut down. The government needs to regulate it. Eh, wrong on that. They were wrong on China. China's ascendant, Joe. China's going to eventually take down the United States. Listen to me. It is not. China is one large Potemkin village. Okay. No centrally planned economy will ever beat and take back the United States. We have our problems. We have a massive national debt load. I don't want to make everything out to be peaches and cream. It most certainly isn't. But ladies and gentlemen, China, there's some good news out of China, but I'm telling you the long-term forecast for China is, 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 is probably only a little bit better than the long-term for, uh, forecast was for the Soviet Union. You cannot centrally plan an economy, control capital flows, Control your monetary exchange rates, control your people through this social scoring system and expect a free market economy to flourish. It's they're 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 not symbiotic. They're parasitic. The Chinese government, there is absolutely zero chance China is going to overtake the United States, even with its significant population advantage. None. Don't give me purchasing power parity and all this other statistics I get. I'm talking about documented raw GDP. I mean raw what we produce. I mean trucks. I mean phones. I mean computers. I mean medical equipment, medicine, movies, lawyers, doctors, steaks, cows, computer screens, paper, focus rights, microphones, telephones, picture frames, cameras. TVs, we produce it. We produce stuff. $21 trillion a year of stuff we produce because we work. Because we got dirt under our fingernails and the American worker is to bust his balls every day getting to work with his work boots on to get done. China, I don't care they have three times as many people. They will never take down this economy. That is an elitist, mediocrity, crap, diseased, swamp rat talking point. It is not going to happen. Despite eight years of Obama, a crappy swamp rat group of GOP spineless punks. I'm serious. A lot of them, not all of them. The American worker still has a relatively free economy to flourish in. You will succeed in this country if you get an education, go to school, and work hard. I'm telling you, there is no one, nobody, sitting on this street right now homeless, no one, who has stayed away from drugs, stayed away from alcohol, lived a clean life, worked hard, and got an education. None. There is nobody. If you are, you are by choice. America is the land of opportunity. It is a light, it is in, 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 a, in a thick, unseeable fog. It is that beacon to the shore. The Chinese don't have that. They monitor their citizens. They have political prisoners. They have a controlled economy by, uh, by a, you think we have a mediocrity, by an even worse mediocrity over there. Some of those Chinese bureaucrats have never even made a dollar in private business. At least some of our swamp rat mediocrats have actually made some money in the past. They are wrong. They will never take us down. Reminds me of Reagan with the Soviet Union at Reykjavik when he told Gorbachev about SDI. He wanted him to give up this, what they called Star Wars. It was not Star Wars. It was SDI. And Reagan told him to go pound sand because Reagan knew he held the ace up his sleeve. And the ace was the U.S. economy. And he looked Gorbachev in the eye and said, we will outspend you. You cannot win. Look at me. Look at me. Look me in the eye. You cannot win. And Gorbachev knew it. And so does President Xi. They cannot win. They cannot win a military conflict with us. They cannot win an economic conflict with us. 
and I'm tired of being told by the mediacrats that they can. I am a free trader. I always had been. I always have been. I get a lot of nasty emails from people mm-hmm. who believe in tariffs. I get it. Mm-hmm. But I will say this. I understand what he's doing right now with China, President Trump. And he is the only, although we've been told by mediacrats and mediocracy for the mediocracy forever, what a bad idea it was. He has finally got the Chinese to the table to potentially acquiesce, to stop stealing our stuff. They will not beat us. The mediocracy is wrong. In his piece, he also talks, so just to sum up where we are, he talks about the mediocracy living off the reputations of prior generations of great leaders. These aren't them. These are not them. He tells us what they've been wrong about. He then goes on to talk about their gross, their, their hypocrisy of the elite class and how it's considered gauche to call them out on it. We shouldn't call out Al Gore. Al Gore needs to fly around the country in a private jet to evangelize about the emissions from private jets. Wait, what? Why does he need to do that? Why can't Al Gore fly commercial? Because he's Al Gore. He's an evangelist for climate science. Victor Davis Hanson says, no, no, no. No, no, we're not going to take that. We're going to call you idiots out at every opportunity. Obama and all his Democrats, oh, walls don't work. Why do you have a wall around your house? I thought they don't work. Well, well they work for me. They just don't work for you idiots. <laughs> that's, uh, that's Obama. Yeah. No, walls work fine for me when I was at the White House. I had a nice spiked fence at the White House. But oh, no, they don't work for you idiots. Uh, that's kind of hypocritical. No, 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 it's not hypocritical. Remember, this is the mediocrity. They're all smarter than you, folks. They're not. They're not smarter than you. They're dumber than you. I said to my daughter the other day, I've never been the smartest guy in the room. Never. I mean that. You give me a room of 100 people. I'm, I'm not selling myself short. I'm not trying to be like humble brag. I'm a reasonably smart guy. I've got some decent education and scored well on tests, whatever. But I've never been the smartest guy in the room. Unless it's a room of like two people. Like me and my, my uh, you know, maybe, maybe one of my neighbors. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> I love my neighbors. They're good people. If it's a room full of people, I'm telling you I'm not the smartest guy. But I told my daughter, I've always been a hustler. And I've always been eager to learn. And there is a difference between what I guess people would call street smarts and book smarts. There is a difference between telling someone how to shoot a three-pointer and actually shooting it. Some of the finest athletes in the world have made the most miserable coaches ever. You know why? It came easy to them. They can't describe to you how to shoot a three-pointer because they were born knowing how to do it. Knowledge ain't knowing, babe. Knowledge, yes! I thought about, I was tweeting yesterday about Wade Boggs, the old third baseman for the Red Sox and the Yankees. A guy, a guy, even though I was a Yankees fan growing up, I just adored. One of the greatest contact hitters of my generation. A guy who, let's be candid, him and Don Mattingly, my favorite player of all time, both of these guys were not born with immense physical skills. They weren't. They weren't born with, you know, Bo Jackson-like abilities. But they hustled. They hustled. They hustled. They led the endless hours in the batting cage, on the batting tee, playing soft toss drills, one-handed swings, weightlifting, running. They hustled. And in that hustling, I'll never forget that 1986 race for the batting title between these two champions of their time. My most fond sports memory. It just brought, yesterday I thought about it. I tweeted to Boggs about it because it was just such a powerful memory in my childhood. Two hustlers hustled. And in that hustle, every time to be better, they had to learn little tricks. Because they did not have that, you know, 400 foot home run power. They weren't born with the muscle type to hit a home or did a 500 foot home run. They weren't born with 4.2 40 yard dash speed. They weren't born with 200 pounds of muscle. So they had to learn the tricks. You know what the tricks are? The tricks are hard work. We have to, and I'm not saying people aren't gifted with their chest. A lot of them do work. Michael Jordan was known as one of the, Jordan, who was unquestionably physically gifted, was known, he had both. Jordan was an, a phenomenal, his work ethic was unparalleled at the time. And he also was born with the physical gifts. Boggs and Mattingly, not, not, they were, you know, they were talented. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to act like they were born like lumps of clay. But they, were, they didn't have the Bo Jackson gifts, but they hustled. 
And in that hustle, you learn the tricks. You learn the tricks. Reminds me of Craig Jeffries. He was an old Mets player. He used to have to figure taught himself how to juggle because he thought it would improve his hand-eye coordination. You know what? It did. That may be a trick he taught thousands of other players in his life and who made them better. Politicians don't have that. These mediocrity, the mediocrity class, the Al Gore silver spoon babies, they don't have any of this. Obama's only job was as a community organizer. Guy I ran against in Maryland, Ben Card, nice guy, never has had a job outside of politics. They don't know how to hustle. They don't know the trick to mop the floor faster. They never had to get a mop. I had to get a mop. I had to clean the floors in key food. And you know what? You figure out a way to empty that bucket quick. Don't lift it this way. You'll spill it on the floor. You'll be cleaning it up. You'll be there all night. Joe, you mopped a few floors yourself, right? I, I sure did, yeah. You listen, you mean, oh, mop, that's easy. No, 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 you mm. got to learn how to mop. That's right. You'll be there all night the first few times. How do I empty this bucket? You remember the big yellow buckets, folks? Had the two st- uncomfortable steel handles that if you picked it up the wrong way would pinch your skin? Oh, yes. Now, you know how I know that? Because I did it. I got a mop. I mopped the damn floor. These politicians ain't mop no damn floors. They ain't mop squat. Get the mop. Pick up the damn mop. You'll figure it out. Do I go back and forth? Do I go forward and back? What's quicker? And then you do a crap job of John from Key Food, the boss, be like, go mop that thing again. Now you're on your own time. You better figure out how to mop. They don't know how to mop. They mop squat. Danson Hansen calls the mediocrity out for the hypocrites they are. Well, you don't want to fly commercial, Al Gore? Then shut the hell up. About anyone else flying private. You forfeited your moral authority. You have the Nomiki Kants. Remember her on Tucker? Individual decisions don't matter. They don't? Indiv- what do you think collectively decisions are? They're all in- what, what are we talking about? Martians? Of course individual decisions matter. It's individual decisions to do things that lead to these collective problems the liberals tell us are problems. If the liberals would all bandy together and donate extra money to the government for these social programs, we wouldn't be in debt. But no, individual decisions don't matter. They do matter. Why do people make individual decisions that benefit them? Because that's what human beings do. Let's go back to the beginning of the show and tie it in. People make decisions based on their individual self-interest. That's why we have a governing body that limits what individuals interested in their own self-interest can do to you. Bingo! That's why we have a Bill of Rights, which says what the government can't do to you. Can't abridge your right to bear arms. Can't take away your right to assemble, to petition the government, the speech, the religion. That's why the Bill of Rights was written that way. It doesn't empower the government. It empowers you. Because they knew the government was composed of individuals. Individual choices, in contrast to liberal Namiki Khans, do matter. And individuals will act in their self-interest, which, Joe, is not yours a good swath of the time. That's why the government limits what individuals can do to you. And that's why individual decisions like Al Gore and his private jets, Barack Obama and his walls, and Nancy Pelosi. Now you see why I opened up the show this way. Nancy Pelosi going to a $10,000 a night villa in Hawaii or wherever while the government shut down and she's pretending to give a crap does matter. It matters because it doesn't matter to Nancy Pelosi at all. She doesn't care about the government shutdown. Or you in the federal government. Nancy Pelosi cares about one thing. And you know what that is? Nancy Pelosi. Call them out. These hypocritical elites. Everywhere. At every turn. All the time. Individual choices don't matter. You're darn right they do. They do matter. Individuals will act in their own self-interest. That's why we stop them from imposing a carbon tax on all of us. Finally, he wraps up the piece with two more points. He addresses what the mediocrity is, living off the reputation of prior generations, what they were wrong about, how the elites who claim to be the meritocracy but are really the mediocrity are really a bunch of hypocrites. 
Gore, Pelosi, Obama with his walls, elites with their private school education while they fight against school choice for the rest of us. But he also talks about the difference with Trump. How Trump doesn't paint himself as one of these elites. He doesn't talk like one of them. He certainly doesn't act like one of them and he doesn't care for a lot of them. And how he's been subjected because he refuses to join the club and take that bribe. Reminds me of that movie Serpico that some of the cops back in the 70s in New York wanted you to take a bribe with them. According to, you know, the movie and, you know, there's always a bit of movie drama, of course. But, uh, you know, they because then you were but you were bought in, too. Right. You know, you couldn't rat them out, so to say. The swamp wants, wants this, too. The swamp needs you to buy in. Trump doesn't care. Big, double-barreled, middle finger, not interested. So what happened? Hansen writes about an unprecedented effort to take down this president. Invokings of the 25th Amendment. In other words, Trump is mentally unqualified to be president, should be removed. What? Are you crazy? The Electoral College coup they tried to pull during the transition. Remember that one, Joe? Yeah. Trying to get electors not to electors. Oh, man. To not elect Donald Trump after he won the election. The Emoluments Clause nonsense about Trump Tower. Stupidest thing I've ever heard. The Mueller probe. Can't forget that one. The DOJ, FBI, foreign intelligence, CIA, surrogate, uh, surrogates and people involved with these agencies. Engaged in an unprecedented spygate operation to take this president down. Why? Because the mediocracy does not want a challenge to its mediocre nature. No, no, no. Oh, no, no. Finally, he wraps up this, 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 this manifesto, this wonderful piece. By saying, hey, are their arguments even valid? In order to assume that, that Trump is a danger and the mediocrity is right. He says, let's analyze their arguments, Joe. So he breaks it down three ways. He says, one, is there a legal and popular basis to remove Donald Trump right now? And is the mediocrity right? He says, no, there has been no evidence of crime or serious uh, high crimes and misdemeanors by Donald Trump at all. Not only that, forgetting the legal basis, he says on a popular basis front, Joe, Donald Trump's poll numbers are basically right where Clinton, Bush, and Obama were at this time in their presidency. Mm -hmm. And Donald Trump did better than Obama and Clinton in their own first midterms. Mm -hmm. It was not a good midterm. He doesn't try to put lipstick on it. We lost the House, but didn't lose anywhere close to the numbers that Clinton and Obama lost in some of their midterms. So there's absolutely no legal or popular basis to get rid of this president by the mediocrity. He addresses the second question. Has Trump failed? Is there a reason the mediocrity should be angry? Is Trump such a failure? He's so dangerous. GDP is at 3% despite the mediocrity telling us it didn't happen. The economy's at record low unemployment. Deregulation is proceeding off at at a wonderful rate, freeing up businesses to invest their capital. We've had tremendous constitutional conservatives appointed to the courts. We finally seem to have some control over endless wars and the deployment of foreign forces and becoming a de facto world police force. We finally have some kind of a vision to when these people need to be drawn down, our American patriots coming back home. What has he failed at? He failed at Twitter. That's the best you've got. Anything else? Now, Hanson's clear. He says, listen, I'm not going to apologize for any of his personal bets, whatever. But your argument that he's failed is absurd. It's beyond stupid. If Trump failed, Obama was a catastrophic failure. Catastrophic failure. Obama couldn't even meet Trump's metrics on the economy and laughed at them when they were even stated. How's he going to bring those jobs back? Remember that? The way he did it, by cutting taxes and deregulating. Thank you. Thank you. Next. Like that Ariana Grande song my daughter plays 6,000 times a day. (laughs) That's right. I got to hear it all day. I love my daughter. She's a good singer. My daughter can really sing. Seriously. Third. What's the antithesis to Trumpism? What's the alternative? Where are the, where's the respected opposition? 
In other words, if the mediocrity is telling us Trump's no good, there's no legal basis to get rid of him, no popular basis. He hasn't failed. He's done quite well. But clearly there's an alternative. What's the alternative? Who are the leaders that are going to emerge? Who? Joe Biden? No, they'll put you all back in chains. John Brennan, the corrupt CIA director, weaponized his agency to spy on Trump. Jim Clapper, known liar, leaking to the media stories to damage the president. Barack Obama of Benghazi, Fast and Furious, IRS, AP, James Rosen, VA scandal fame, that Obama? Of of the worst recovery from a recession in modern American history, Obama, the only president in American history not to reach the 3% growth he said wasn't possible with Trump hit the first year. That Obama, he's the respected opposition. Who, Hillary Clinton and, and Billy Boy with his $500,000 payment from a Russian bank while his wife was secretary of state lording over the Uranium One deal? Oh, the same Russian bank that had analyzed the finances of it? Oh, yeah, yeah, that guy. Yeah, we're supposed to take advice from them. No, no, no. Maybe we'll take it from the Hollywood elite show. Surely Kathy Griffin and Bob hey. De Niro know better. Oh, yeah. Bob yeah. De Niro, I want to punch him in the face. That's my Obama voice. Actually, all of a sudden, <laughs> I, I don't do voices very well. Yeah, Bob De Niro, I want to punch him in the face. I don't know. I don't know Bob De Niro. I want to punch him in the face. You going to do a Bob De Niro? You have a Bob De Niro? I don't have one. No, I'm gonna, I'll work on it. We have to get you. Yeah, because <laughs> once I tell you, all your Joe needs to do is listen to it once and he's gold. Oh, who are we supposed to listen to? Oh, man. Uh, Taylor Swift, dude, I'm not knocking her. She supported a different candidate in Tennessee. The guy lost. I don't understand why we're supposed to listen to them. This is the respected opposition? What? Uh, who else? Any, any other geniuses out there we're supposed to listen to? Beto O'Rourke? We're supposed to listen to Beto? Why, why, why do we have to listen to Beto? What has Beto done? But no, I'm serious. What has Beto done? How is Beto the anointed one now? Beto, why oh, we got to listen to Beto? Bernie Sanders. Uh, Bernie, you got to have a Ber- Bernie. Bernie with his three homes? My Money's terrible. Money. But capitalists, you all suck. I've Bernie, you want three for homes, those don't homes. You? I've worked hard for those homes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is the respected opposition? Hey, hard pass, man. Hard pass. No time for these people. And let me, so that that's the sum of, that's the mediocrity piece in a nutshell, because I, I want to get to one more quick thing here. There is no respected opposition. And it leaves me with this. There is opposition I do respect. This is an important point. Trump has been engaged back and forth in a bit of a Twitter battle with some military generals. Uh, McRaven, McChrystal, obviously what happened with Mattis. McChrystal came out, Stanley McChrystal, and gave an interview and seemed to insinuate that Trump wasn't an honest guy and I thought took some cheap shots at the president that were unnecessary. Yeah. Now, I'm going to separate two arguments here, and you should too. You can respect these men in their service, and I say that with every ounce of sincerity. I did not serve in the military. I don't know what these men have been through, clearly. They proceeded through the ranks in the military to honorable, dignified service to their fellow man. And for that, you have my utmost respect. But ladies and gentlemen, when you enter the political arena and you take a shot at the president, the president has every single right as the president of the United States to defend himself. You may disagree with how he does it. You may disagree with the tweets or the tone of it. That is fine. But I'm going to tell you now, and I I may get some negative emails, but that's fine. I'm telling you the truth and how I feel. Once you enter the political arena, there's nothing to diminish your service to this country. Don't mistake the two. But the president has every darn right to fight back. And I support his right to do it. He absolutely should fight back. I would do the exact same thing if someone with a history of of distinguished military service attacked me and I thought in what I thought to be a disingenuous manner. So although I don't respect the other opposition, Hillary, Obama, none of them, I don't. These were horrible political leaders. The Hollywood elitists, the actor class, fake academics. The, the, remember the Obamacare guy, Jonathan, whatever. American people are really stupid. That's how we got over on you with Obamacare. I have no respect for them. None. Zero. Don't care. Don't care a bit. But I do respect those generals. I salute you. 
but I also respect my president and he has every single right to fight back. All right, folks, thanks again for tuning in. Um, please um, watch the five. Uh, I will be guest hosting the five. I put it out on my Twitter feed on Fox. I will be in this Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Let's boost those ratings. I really appreciate it. Uh, it matters a lot when uh, when I go on that you all f- give us some feedback. And I'd love to hear your tweets and emails, how you think I did. I'm sure there will be some spicy debates. Um, you know me. <laughs> I know Joe will be watching. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, yeah, always a liberal on the panel. Uh, oh, you know, I never like to uh, sit back and just take it. So make sure you watch the five. Please just set your DVR this Wednesday, uh, which is uh, well, Wednesday, today's show, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Check it out, 5 p.m. Eastern time on the five. Hey, I really enjoyed today's show. I did. I enjoyed your company today. Yeah. You too, Joe. Yeah, this man. was one of my favorite shows, I got to tell you, I've done in months. Yeah. And please, please read that Victor Davis Hansen piece up at my website. It is tremendous. It's worth your time. Screw the mediocrity. Be back tomorrow. See ya. You just heard the Dan Bongino Show. Get more of Dan online anytime at conservativereview.com. You can also get Dan's podcasts on iTunes or SoundCloud. And follow Dan on Twitter 24-7 at DBongino.